Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. And uh, last time we ended on Acts chapter 6, which was the briefest chapter so far in the book of Acts. And we're going to go into the longest chapter thus far in the book of Acts. And what you're going to get from Acts chapter 7 is a kangaroo court. Like you found back in the Gospels when the Jewish leaders interrogated and quite wrongly put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. They're going to do it again, but this time to a man called Stephen. So let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Then said the high priest, are these things so? It's almost a rhetorical question. They've decided they're going to put him to death, whatever he says, and yet they want to give the impression of giving this man a chance to come clean. 2. And he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, for he dwelt in Charon, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Here's a call to salvation. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, the Lord calls Abraham to service, along with salvation. And then you go to excuse me, Genesis chapter 15, and Abraham believes and gets saved. And if you go to Genesis chapter 17, he's circumcised. So we can spiritualize that as follows. The Lord calls us to be saved. We believe, and then we are baptized. So I think Genesis 12 pictures a call to salvation slash service. Genesis 15 demonstrates one's belief, and Genesis chapter 17 will demonstrate a circumcision slash baptism. But to go beyond that, to stretch it beyond that, is problematic. And here you're going to find Stephen pretty much ignoring their question from verse 1, and he's going to focus on Abraham's trial and tribulation, and the problems which went with that. And that goes back to John chapter 3, when the Lord was speaking to Nicodemus, and he completely bypasses Nicodemus's question, and he says, you must be born again. And here Stephen is going to bypass their question from verse 1, which is loaded. It wasn't a genuine question, of course. It was one set up to, to cause him to trip over, and he's going to go straight down to business, starting with Abraham, the first Hebrew, I should also add. And he was told... In verse 3, to get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. Separation. And if you go back to the Old Testament, if you get a chance, please look at Joshua 24. And in Joshua 24, which we haven't got time to look at this morning, you find that the fathers of old, Abraham's kindred, worshipped many gods, plural. And one of the gods that they worshipped was Allah, the moon god. Now, one of the true god of the Bible wanted Abraham to depart, to come away from such a group of Pagan worshippers, false deities, so on and so forth. And he goes and say in verse 4, Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Charon, and from thence. When his father was dead, he moved him into this land, wherein he now dwell. Again, Joshua 24, please read it. 5. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession, and to seed after him when he was as yet had no child. There's a picture of faith. Totally by faith, he was told to leave his friends and family. I mean, just picture that for a moment. Turn from them, leave them, and go by faith into the great beyond. He didn't know what was going to occur. And that's why I think you can go back to Genesis 12, a call to salvation. Genesis 15, faith to follow the Lord. And Genesis 17, to be baptized, to demonstrate that you have been saved. I love this. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession, that's the land, of course, and to a seed after him, ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ, when as yet he had no child. What a great picture of faith. 6. 
and God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years. No cross, no crown. They're going to suffer for 400 years, but it's all going to come good. So hang in there. If you're going through a trial or tribulation, it's, it's all going to come good. So hang in there. And here, Abraham wasn't sure what was going to occur. But as I say, by faith, he departed his pagan land, his pagan ancestors, false deities, so on and so forth. And he would go down in history to be the first Hebrew and one of the great patriarchs. Look at verse 7, please. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that, they shall come forth and serve me in this place. The Lord's going to deal with evil nations and evil people. And if you think you're having a hard time, hang in there. The Lord has many times that history dealt with evil nations. He destroyed the Grecians and the Assyrians and the Romans. He destroyed the Third Reich. And uh, here he dealt with the Egyptians, as I say, because they put his people into bondage for 400 years. So I don't think that... The Lord is going to overlook evil and wickedness. No, he won't. He will deal with it in his own way and in his own time. Look at verse 8. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. This is a completely Jewish theme. You can't miss it. And if you were a Gentile around this time, looking into this piece of scripture, it would appear somewhat amusing to you. But... The Bible is written by Jewish men for Jewish people and through the Jews fall, through the Jews decline, we get a look in. 9. And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favour and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over all Egypt and all his house. Joseph, a type of Christ, was sold into Egypt, but God was with him that term Emmanuel from Matthew chapter 1. And envy is a terrible sin and yet it's endemic throughout both testaments. And also from verse 10. He gave him favour and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over all Egypt and over all his house. There's a picture of the second advent. 11. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And great affliction. And our fathers found no sustenance. There's a picture of judgment. If you go to India today, you have people literally washing in a filthy river full of animal excrement. You've got people begging and dying in the streets. And people say, why would that happen? Because those people have broken the Ten Commandments. They've broken the First Commandment and the Second Commandment. They've got false gods and idols. They're not worshipping the one true God as they should do. And God is not going to put up with that. And here, when you find people suffering, people going without food and water, and that's going to picture the... Tribulation as well, that's a picture, it's always of judgment. This is the Lord's earth, and yet when men turn from the Lord, the Lord turns from men, and that's when problems start to occur. What do they say? Get the governments that you deserve. How true that is. 12. Now when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. Now the world is going to picture here helping the Jews, the Israelites, and that's going to be found also in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, 13. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred were made known unto Pharaoh. Great grace, love, reconciliation. And you think to yourself, maybe in verse 13, Stephen's looking to the Jewish leaders and saying, it's not too late, guys. If you turn to the Jewish Messiah, if you turn to him in faith, the just shall live by faith. You can be reconciled as well, but no, they're not interested in being reconciled to the Jewish carpenter. Like their forefathers, they are in a conspiracy to reject 
the one true God of the Bible, and they're going to worship religion. They're going to worship religion, they're going to worship their system, which is endemic today. And it says in verse 15, So Jacob went down into Egypt, and died he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sychem, and laid in the sepulchre that Abraham bought for some money of the sons of Emer, the father of Sechem. He bought the land fair and square, he didn't steal it, unlike some religions do. 17. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children, to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born, and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up, and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. He had it all, as they say, he had the great opportunity to do great things for his peers. He had the best education that was possible in pagan Egypt around this time. And you see the theme, don't you? The theme starts with Abraham being called to forsake all and follow the Lord. He does so and he's rewarded. Now it's Moses' time to forsake all and follow the Lord. And the comparisons are going to be numerous. And also Joseph, we looked at very briefly in reference to types of Christ, types of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 23. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. Here Moses is pictured as a murderer. People say, well, I've done terrible things. Can I be forgiven? Yes, you can. Is there any hope for me? Yes, there is. But you've got to come to the cross. But the problem here from 24-25 is that his brethren didn't understand what had occurred. Like Joseph's brethren didn't understand what had occurred. Like Jesus' brethren didn't understand what had occurred. Like the Jewish leaders found here are not understanding what is occurring. Like enemies of the cross all over the world are not understanding what is occurring. And you're told in Second Corinthians 4, 4 how the devil has blinded those people. They are completely unable to see what's going on and to understand and to be saved because their hearts are not right with Almighty God. 26. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye this wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbour wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Again, like the Jews, we shall not have this man to rule over us. We have no king but Caesar. The parallels are numerous, as I say in here. Moses is trying to do the right thing. But they're saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Of course, nobody had done. He wasn't offering himself as a ruler and a judge. He was simply trying to reconcile two Jews fighting. But unfortunately, Moses has lost his testimony, which is the quickest thing to lose and the hardest thing to get. 28. Wilt thou kill me? As thou didst the Egyptian yesterday. That must have really hit a chord with Moses. He spent years being schooled and reared in Egypt. He's got the best of everything. And he's turned from that. He's identifying himself with the people of Israel. But it seems it's not going to happen. It seems it's almost, uh, what do they say, too little, too late. So look at 29. Then fed Moses at this saying. And was a stranger of the land of Midian. Where he begat two sons. Two sons from Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, and Jethro was a pagan. So here you find the Jews rejecting their 
deliverer, if you will, their saviour, if you will, he's forced out from the camp of Israel, and he goes and finds a Gentile wife, and he has two sons from her. No confession so far from Moses, no repentance so far from, uh, from Moses in reference to his murder. He's murdered somebody, he hasn't repented, he hasn't confessed, and yet he's still going to be used by Almighty God. That's a great picture of the Lord's mercy and grace, and that's why Paul said how he was a great blasphemer before he was saved, and the Lord used him nevertheless. 30. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Sinai in the New Covenant, pronounced in the Old Covenant as Sinai. But what is interesting to me is this term, an angel of the Lord. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, the text says it, it was the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord. In fact, if you get time, look at Exodus chapter 3 and you find the triunity appearing to Moses. And I don't know what to do with this term, an angel of the Lord. I know from the chapter before last, the Jews were referred to as heathen. So I can only assume that what's occurring here is that Stephen, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, doesn't want the Jewish leaders to know that the angel of the Lord was deity. So he simply changed it, changed it to an angel of the Lord. Also, Moses is 80 years old at this point in his life. So people who say, I'm too old to do anything, need to read this text again. 31. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I'm the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Of course, what a great sight that must have been to come across the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No Gentiles present. And that's why it says, Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Wouldn't even look at the burning bush. And yet, he had to approach the bush. He had to speak to the Lord. He had to be given a revelation from the Lord. Because the Lord is going to reveal himself, first of all, to Moses. And on top of that, he's going to tell Moses that his name is Jehovah, which he hadn't told the patriarchs before, which goes back to progressive revelation. 33. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Take off your shoes from the place where you stand, for this is holy ground. That term is only found twice in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and today... Only two things are, or three things I should say, are holy. Almighty God, the triune God, of course, his word, and the Christian. So take the Christian and the word of God and the triune God out of the equation, and there's nothing that is holy. Your church isn't holy. Your shrines are not holy. Your priests, your pastors, your deacons, your popes, your cardinals are not holy. Ministry is not holy. Only God, his word, and the Christian is what is holy but here this was unusual this was something which hadn't occurred before and here Moses as I say is going to be given a great revelation 34 I have seen I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt and I've heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them and now come I will send thee into Egypt God is long-suffering you find that in Revelation chapter 6 where the martyrs are in heaven and some of those martyrs were beheaded for their faith the Lord Jesus Christ and that pictures what is going to occur in the great tribulation and here he says I know what's going on Moses I've seen and heard and I'm going to come down and deliver them that's a wonderful piece of scripture 35 this Moses whom they refused saying who made thee a ruler and a judge 
The same did God send to be a roller and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared unto him in the bush. He's making the case again that, as the Jews rejected Moses, they are once again rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a terrible thing of men never learning from history. And Solomon would say, there's nothing new under the sun. 36. He brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, and in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me? Him shall ye hear. Jesus Christ, of course, you were told to hear him, you were told to follow him, you were told to believe on him. 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. Irresistible grace? I don't think so. Calvinists say that the Lord has irresistible grace, and he will use irresistible grace to bring sinners unto him. But here, it's very clear that the fathers wouldn't obey the Lord. 39. That also pictures John 666. Many of his disciples walked no more with him. And on top of that, that wasn't bad enough. They say to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. Golden calves. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. What was going on? He was up on the Mount, Mount Sinai, receiving the commandments from the Lord. And here Mount Sinai, as I say, is referred to, or is pronounced as Mount Sinai. And yet, what's going on here? Well, they are hardening their hearts. People of Israel are hardening their hearts. Go back to the Old Testament. If you don't believe me, look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. You see very clearly the Jews saying to Samuel, we want a king to go out and fight our battles for us, like the Gentiles. And the Lord said to Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they have rejected me. And of course they got Saul, the first king, who was demon possessed on and off for many years. And he goes after David, another type of Christ. And you know the story, eventually David is vindicated and ordained and chosen to be the true king of Israel. But here man can resist the Lord's will. And he's making it clear to the Jewish leaders from verse 1 that their forefathers did it and now they are doing it. Which shows again that history has an unfortunate habit of repeating itself. 41. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. There's your tares, there's your goats, there's your pigs found in the Gospels, found in First Peter. And there's a picture of man at his worst state. Man in total depravity, creating a calf to sacrifice by their own hands. And that's what you're told in Matthew 21, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. How many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this? And have we not done that? And of course, you know the rest. He said, I never knew you, depart from your workers of iniquity, so on and so forth. And here, this mixed multitude that left Egypt are now turning on their deliverer, their saviour, who did the job. He got him out of Egypt in one piece, took him through the Red Sea in one piece, nobody drowned. And yet the moment he's gone, the moment he's in fellowship with the Lord, the moment he is receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord, well, they said the cat's away and the mice will play. 42. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, 
have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Which eighth Old Testament quotation, and like I said last time, because I think it's valid, that for me this does feel like a fifth gospel, written by a Jew, addressed to the Jews for the first ten chapters easily. And time after time, Dr. Luke is quoting the Old Testament because the scripture cannot be broken. What God has inspired, he has preserved, and that's why you are warned in the book of Revelation that if you take any words from the Bible, if you take anything out or put something in which shouldn't be put in, you risk being removed from the Lord's book of life. And on top of that, from the kingdom of God being the thousand year reign. Look at verse 43, please. Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephon, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch, that wicked owl god back in the Old Testament, and the star of your god, Rephom, that could be the star of David, figures which ye made to worship them. What's going to happen as a consequence of this? And I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Off they go into Babylon for 70 years, and most of that generation die in Babylon. But I don't know if this is the star of David. There's been so many debates over the years, a lot of discussion over the years about this reference to Moloch, which we know to be the owl god, which you find at... Uh, Bohemian Grove every summer where ungodly men and women go up to do wicked things. And back in the Old Testament, Moloch was the owl god and they would offer their children to Moloch. And that's one of the reasons why the Lord was infuriated with the Jews for doing so. And that's one of the reasons why he put them into bondage. But this term, the star of your god, Rephim, or Remphon, to be more precise, Remphon, figures which he made to worship them. It could be the Star of David, and like I say, it's a difficult situation to be completely dogmatic on, but if you want to argue that the Star of David is prohibited in Scripture, this would be the place to go to, I would suggest. But don't quote me on that. I'm not going to be dogmatic and say that this Star God of Remphon is the Star of David found in modern Israel on their flag and pretty much all over Israel. I don't know, but uh, clearly they were worshipping a star of some kind, and this star of some kind was tied in with Moloch, which of course is tied in with human sacrifice. Sacrificing children, women and children, is pretty wicked, and that's one of the main reasons why the Lord destroyed so many people back in the Old Testament. See, God is holy, God won't put up with sin, God will not put up with wickedness and depravity, and here Stephen, as I say, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is just pouring out all this history of Israel. Our fathers did this, our fathers did that, this happened, that happened, and yet he's still faithful. It's almost as if Stephen's going to say to the Jewish leaders before they put him to death, it's not too late, gentlemen, to turn and be saved, to be reconciled. But one last time from 43, yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch, and the star of your god Remphon, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. And he did, and like I say, most that went in didn't come out. 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favour before God, and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. The God of Israel. The God of Abraham. There's no Gentiles present. And it says Jesus here in verse 45. And from memory, Jesus in verse 45 is referring to Joshua. 
Jesus means Jehovah saves. Joshua means Jehovah saves. 47. But Solomon built him an house. Now the switch is to Solomon, David's son. And Solomon was very much a man of two natures. A man who, on the one hand, started off on the right track. Started off worshipping the Lord. And yet fell into great sin and apostasy. And of course you know the rest. He fell and he pretty much lost it all. But I close today's broadcast in verse 47. As I say, this is the longest chapter thus far from Acts chapter 7. But you can't miss it, can you? Stephen is on a roll, as they say. He's going to go through all the greats from Abraham to Joseph to Moses to David. And in between, he's going to bring to their attention time after time sin, apostasy, idolatry. And they are just sitting there biding their time, almost cringing, waiting for Stephen to finish. And yet he's in no hurry. He's very much on the Lord's timetable. But as I say, if you take the time to read these verses and go back to Exodus chapter 3. In fact, I've got just a couple of seconds. I'll just show you from Exodus chapter 3 in reference to the angel of the Lord. I think this is very important because us Trinitarians are accused sometimes of uh, holding to a doctrine which is not found in the word of God. And that's not true. And it says in Exodus chapter 3 verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and beheld the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Look at verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Did you see that? The angel of the Lord in verse 2. The Lord uppercase in verse 4. And God in verse 4. So I think you've got... The Holy Spirit, first of all, in reverse order, in verse 4. You've got the Lord uppercase in reference to the Father. And in verse 2, you've got the angel of the Lord in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, in verse 2. God the Father, in verse 4. And God the Holy Spirit, also found in verse 4. The angel of the Lord, deity in the Old Testament and deity in the New Testament. But here in Acts chapter 7... The angel of the Lord is changed to an angel of the Lord. And I think that's done, as I say, because the Jews were in rebellion. They were in apostasy. And Stephen is not going to refer to the angel of the Lord being deity because they are under the judgment of God. That's why they were called heathen back in the previous chapter. I think it was chapter four, actually. But I'll close today, as I say, in verse uh, 47. But Solomon built him an house. Yes, he did. And of course, you can see why he would do that, because Solomon had everything he wanted, women, horses, property, but he wanted to build a house for the Lord. And you know that David couldn't do it because David was a man of blood. So we'll close today's broadcast in verse 47. And next time we'll pick it up in verse 48, Acts 7, verse 48.